in 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, you know, that book is written to like to the Corinthian people of Corinth. And when they got saved, um, you know, it didn't have a lot of Christian, it didn't have a religious culture. Um, you know, I mean, there was no Christian culture anywhere because the gospel was new coming through. And when people got saved in Corinth, they were um, coming out of a, a pretty nasty religion, a pretty, pretty much the epitome of sin. And they had a lot of questions for Paul, and they were always kind of looking for loopholes. In other words, you know, they knew that when they gave their life to Christ, that basically now Christ had their life. And everything they did was in relation to giving their life to Christ. They were only here for a short period of time. They knew their home was heaven. But while they were here, you know, what did it mean to give my life to Christ? And there was a lot of bad doctrine going around, uh, Gnosticism and all this stuff. Uh, Epicurean, go for the gusto, live for now. And Gnosticism was like, oh, everything in the spirit is good. Everything in the world's bad. So God doesn't care if I do stuff in my body and in the world as long as everything's cool in my spirit. A lot of bad doctrine. And the Corinthian people were kind of immature, so they had a lot of questions about what can I do? Hey, uh, because the, there were two religions, basically, or two, basically, places to go to church at the time. Uh, one was the Christian church that required a full devotion, sell out to Christ. But the, uh, the Corinthian, the temples, the pagan temples where they worship, had like, um, uh, there was temple drugs. There was, there was temple drink, man. There was temple prostitutes. There was, so, so you're either selling out to Christ or you're selling out to the flesh here. And that's where they're coming from. And they were like, so Paul, all right, so if I go to worship on the Lord's day, man, and, and worship God and I have a devotion, can I still go do temple drugs? And, and, and Paul, hey, can I, can I go sleep with the temple prostitutes? Can we, can we be at the temple parties? Can we, so can we like be in both places doing both things? And Paul's like, look, guys, it's real simple. Just sell your life out to Christ and he'll tell you what to do. And, and yet, they, so they were always looking for loopholes in things. And so in 1 Corinthians, Paul gives them four principles. He says, look, I'm not going to answer every little thing. because That's what they wanted. Okay, so can I drink this much at the temple but not this much? Can I smoke this or take this or do this or lay with this or sleep with this? And Paul's like, wait, I'm going to give you some principles. And in 1 Corinthians, if you read it, he gives them four basic questions to ask themselves. He says, dude, look, ask yourself this. Is it helpful? Is it hurtful? Is it habit-forming? And is it honoring to God? Help me out with that. Is it helpful? Is it hurtful? Is it habit-forming? And is it honoring to God? And so in that, that's kind of the, that's the summary of 1 and 2 Corinthians. He keeps going through. All right, guys, you want to know, can you do this? Is it helpful? Is it hurtful? Is it habit for me? Is it honoring to God? And in that, um, uh, he's, it's interesting because they were looking for themselves. Is it going to help me? Is it going to hurt me? Is it habit for me, for me? Or is it honoring to God? You know, is me honoring God? But Paul starts out and he says, first question you got to ask yourself is, is including others in it. Is it going to help others? get closer to God as well as help me get closer to God. See, that's the difference between Christianity and all other religions. Christianity is about other, it's about God than others. If you love God with everything you have, he'll cause you to love others and you have the residual benefit from that. And so it starts out, is it just what I'm getting ready to do, Paul? Is it, is asking God this, is, is it going to help others grow spiritually? Is it going to help me grow spiritually? If the answer is no, then probably there's a good chance you're not going to do it. But if you're like the Corinthians, and I think we are, how many of y'all are like identifying with the Corinthians? Am I allowed? It's just a white lie. <laughs> it's just my income taxes. You can interpret it this way, that way, the other way, whatever. So is it going to help others grow more in love with Christ? Is it going to help me grow more in love with Christ? 
Uh, is it going to hurt? Is there a potential of me doing this that's going to hurt somebody else's spiritual growth as well as hurt my spiritual growth? Is there a chance, a potential, if I do this, that it's going to cause somebody else to have a habit or to have me have a habit? That, and Paul even said in that, he said, if something has control over you, even if it's for a few hours, if it has control over you, then who doesn't have control over you at that time? God. And if you belong to God, who did you surrender control to? God. So he says, is it habit forming? You know, and, and he says, man, you know, if it's got control of you at a particular time, then that's a particular time that God doesn't have control of you. And so God can't use you at that time. You know, so he said, just apply that question to if you're allowed to do this laugh because they're looking for loopholes. And he said, look, all right, I'm going to come down and, and you can throw everything through this sieve. He said, is it honoring to God? Because you were bought with a price. Hey, what did God pay for you? Did he like get you on the clearance bin at Walmart? No, dude, man. I mean, when they really had clearance, they weren't just restocking stuff. But seriously, man, what did he pay for you? He paid for you with the blood of his son. He could not have uh, paid any more for you. You understand? You were bought with the most valuable thing in this universe, which is the blood of Jesus Christ. And he said, you were bought with a purpose. You're, he said, don't you guys know that you're the, you're the what? You're the temple of what? Help me out. You're the temple of the Holy Spirit, he says. Man, he said, don't you know that? In other words, the God that lives in heaven, when you're a believer, that God that lives in heaven, the very God that lives in heaven, lives where? Does that not blow you away? I mean, this God, that, like a hurricane, dude. Like, I mean, all these songs we sing. And by the way, that's awesome. I love that song. I mean, hurricanes, you see the force of God, you know, all these the tidal waves, all these things. Man, that very God is the one who lives inside of us. It's just in the form of his Holy Spirit. And that's an awesome, awesome thing. So he said, man, so help me out with these questions again. He said, ask yourself, is it helpful? Is it, is it, and is it honoring to God? And so they still didn't quite get it. They were still looking for loopholes in things. They were still looking for a way to do what they wanted to do in the flesh, but also not violate God because they lived in this legal system where if I, my good deeds outweigh my bad deeds, then I'm in good shape, you know? And, and it was bad theology. And so Paul, he goes in and he writes 1 Corinthians 13, the love chapter. How many of y'all read the love chapter? Heard it read at a wedding or whatever? Love is what? What's the first one? Patient. Patient. Love is kind. Love doesn't boast. Love doesn't. And in other words, the reason he writes that, he's like giving them practical. All right, if somebody's not patient in a relationship with you, do they love you? No. <laughs> if that, I don't care how much they say they do. How many beautiful poems they write you? If they're not patient, they don't love you. You know, if they're not kind. If they're not gentle and so on. So he says, I'm going to give you some specifics to apply and you'll know what love is. But in verse 13 of chapter 13, he says this. He said, OK, guys, I know you're still not getting it. Aren't you glad God's patient when we don't get it? How many of y'all just don't get it sometimes? Yeah. And God has to keep showing us and keep showing us. So if I preach the same thing over and over again, somebody in here is not getting it. All right. <laughs> get it so I can preach something different. No, I'm just joking. But but seriously, it's probably me not getting it. But so in this, in verse 13 of that chapter, he says, there's faith, hope, and love. He said, those three things are all that really matter. Those three things last forever. Go study it. He says, faith, hope, and love, they last forever. And out of all of those, the most important one is love. Because if you truly have God's love, you can't have it without hope, and you can't get to it without faith. And so he said, it's all about love. So what do we do? What does the world do with love? 
we redefine love. <laughs> Instead of God is love and whatever God does is love and we mimic that, we redefine love to be whatever we want it to be. And so you can see Paul pulling his hair out. <gasps> okay, God, I give up. For me to live is Christ, to die is gain. Now you know why I said to die is better? Because people just didn't get it. He's like, at least in heaven, everybody believes us and knows it. So later in the book of Hebrews, the author of Hebrews kind of goes over the same thing about faith, hope, and love. And, and I want to just ask you, you know, he said this is what lasts forever and, hope, and love is the best thing. It, what does faith, hope, and love look like in our lives? And, and, and what's so good about faith, hope, and love? I'm sure I could ask you guys, you'd have some, you know, you could give me some things on this, but, but the, faith is, or the fact is, is that in here he's going to show us in chapter 10 what faith, hope and love look like in our lives in a practical sense. So the first thing I want you to, to see is that you will need faith to come to Christ, okay? The first time as well as any time. You still need faith? Hey, bro, you still, uh, Joel, 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 you, Jake and Joel, man, do you need faith to come to Christ? Like now you're a believer, right? Are you saved? You sounded like one, man, all right? He puts on a pretty good front, doesn't he, man? He's good. But even as a believer, how long have you been saved, bro? Okay, cool. And you were saved since five, man. Five to seven to eight. We were talking about that in the pool last night, you know. And, and, but, but as long as you guys have been saved, do you still need faith to come to him? Yeah. You need faith that the sacrifice that Jesus performed on the cross is adequate. You need that faith to come to him. And he says when you have that faith, it allows you to come boldly. Let's take a look at what, what it says in here. Let's see. Maybe this isn't on. Okay, here we go. And uh, Okay, there we go. All right, so we got it, Tom. I got it. I figured out technical difficulty on my part. I ain't the sharpest marble to box. All right, so verse 19, he starts by and he says, he's continuing on. We've been talking about how Jesus is the perfect priest with the heavenly tabernacle. You know, this last week we talked about, you know, would you, why would you live in the blueprint when you live in the building? What God has given us is the ultimate final product. So he says, therefore, brethren, having boldness to enter the holiest, by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way which he consecrated for us through the veil that is his flesh and having a high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. How many of y'all know what that means, man? You just look at it and it's like, all right, that sounds good. All right, let's do that. <laughs> Where are you going to start? Let's pick it apart a little bit. First of all, he says, man, having boldness to enter the holy of holies. Do you guys remember last week we talked about the tabernacle? And the tabernacle in the middle of the wilderness was this beautiful white building. Had, had, uh, had, had uh, uh, stick, the, the post going up. Had silver at the, I mean, uh, bronze at the base, silver at the top. Reminding us of our judgment. Then looking up and seeing our redemption in the silver. And we walked through this beautiful colored door. Uh, what were the colors of the door? Anybody remember? Purple. There was red. There was blue. And there's gold. And the blue represented what? Heaven. The purple represented? Royalty. And the red represented? The sacrifice, man. And so you would go into this beautiful, it's like entering God from this nasty world that we live in that's parched with sin. And we go in, and you remember the priest, man. He would come in, and the first thing he had to do, the high priest, this is we're just going to go once a year. The high priest, with his own money, had to buy a cow. Dude, he, he must have been getting paid good by that church, right? But I'm just saying, he had to buy a cow. And first thing he had to do was sacrifice that cow. And he had to burn it on the altar 
the bronze altar for his own sins. And then after being all bloodied up and smelly and everything, he had to then go to the labor, which was this big bowl, giant bowl that was full of water. And he had to wash himself off to purify himself for God. Then he could go into the holy place. And once he got into the holy place, it was pitch dark in there unless somebody had already lit, which it was supposed to be lit forever, was the golden lampstand that was there made from 75 pounds of gold. And he would go in there, one 75 pound, I mean, piece of gold, that's what it was made. And it would literally light up when it was lit. It would light up everything in there, which were the gold walls and the beautiful curtains on each side. And then it would light up the table of showbread. The light reminded them that, that, man, you cannot see anything spiritual unless God shows it to you. And the bread, I'm going to provide for you. There were 12 loaves. And then there was another curtain about this thick, about that thick. And there was an altar of incense in front of it. And they would burn the incense, a special incense. And it was from, they would use it an ember from the, the first sacrifice he made to get that incense going. And so he's like, God, please forgive me of my sins, and I'm going to use this to offer prayers up to you. And as that incense smoke went up, it represented the prayers. And now he hoped that as he entered once a year, once a year, the other people couldn't even enter. But this guy, once a year, he could enter, and he would hope, and everybody would hope God would accept his sacrifices it, we know that on his garment, he had pomegranates at the bottom and little, little balls called, looked like pomegranates and bells so that you could hear him moving around. And tradition tells us that he had a rope around his ankle just in case God didn't accept his sacrifice. And so when he went in, swinging the incense, man, praying that God would accept his offering because what he was going to do was take some of the blood from his, that sacrifice and he was going to sprinkle it on the mercy seat. Hopefully God would... But if you stopped hearing the bells uh, ringing, Bree, if you stopped hearing the bells, man, that priest is behind that big curtain, the bells aren't ringing, what are y'all going to be thinking? Yeah, dude, you're going to be like, oh, gee, you know, wait, listen, I thought I heard a bell. No, no, I didn't hear a bell. And you don't hear the bells, and then you guys draw straws, and, you know, let, let's send Naomi in. <laughs> let's send Naomi in to go get him. You going in if, he, if the high priest, the only one who is allowed to go into the Holy of Holies, are you going in after him? If he died, what's going to happen to you? You're going to die. Yeah. That's why tradition says they had a rope around his ankle because yeah, no, how many who all go in after him? Nobody, right? So they would pull him out. Now, I don't know that that actually happened. That's tradition that says that. But the fact is, is that the sacrifice, they didn't know if God was going to accept the sacrifice. It was, it, it, you, they didn't come in boldly to the Holy of Holies. They came in, what would you decide, hey, how would you describe it, Steve? It's supposed to come in boldly into the Holy of Holies to God's presence, like we do. What would you describe their mood? Oh, probably terrified. Scared. Terrified, scared. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, totally humble, totally scared, totally. And that's why when he's telling these Jewish believers who are trying to go back to an old legalistic sacrificial system, he's saying, no, what you have is better. Look, have boldness to enter the holiest, the holy of holies where God is. Because once they got in there, there was nothing but the ark of God's presence. And there was a mercy seat that covered the things that were in that ark. And he would sprinkle the blood, hoping that would accept that God would accept that sacrifice. But now we have a better picture, man. As we come in, as who, how many doors were in that tabernacle again? On the outer court, there was one. There's only one way into God, and that's through Jesus Christ. He's that door. 
He told us he is. We come in, and now do we have to offer? How many of y'all had to kill a cow this morning? You know, Penny, what if you had to kill a manatee to come into the whole, to God's presence? That'd be hard, wouldn't it? And, but how many of y'all had to kill anything to come in? Uh, be careful, you had to kill the flesh. <laughs> but Jesus was the sacrifice on that bronze altar. Then we come in and, and the labor. Jesus washes us with that sacrifice and washes us all day long with his word. And then we come in and we can now, is it only the high priest that has access to God? Is it only the preacher? Maybe even the preacher at the biggest church in the United States has. I don't know. It's, who can come, Carol? Anybody that believes, anybody that has believing faith in what Jesus Christ did on the cross, that so that pays for your sins, they can come boldly. So you come into that door, into the Holy of Holies, man, and it's, you don't have to sprinkle blood from your sacrifice on there, but Jesus' blood has already been sprinkled on there. And when God looks down and sees Jesus' blood, describe, Steve, I'm going to give it to you again, describe to me, what God's expression is when he sees Christ's blood sprinkled on that. Is it a good thing or a bad thing? <laughs> it could go either way. Really. Yeah. It's, good, it's good for us. But, yeah. it was, but it was his expression of love. I'm sorry, I'm, I'm, I'm going to help you out here, bro. No, but on this, when God looks down and sees the blood of his son, and you've accepted that, that is excitement on his part. He looked, his favorite thing in the world is this sacrifice because that's what he used to redeem us to him. In the garden, what did God want from us? Adam and Eve, they were supposed to just do what? Have fellowship with him. And by sin, they broke it. And God was waiting for the right time, the right moment to be able to redeem man. And he's waiting for us to be in heaven with him. Also, so we can have that fellowship. Do you look forward to that, Carol? You looking forward to that? Just say, yeah, go ahead. I, I, dude, if I see lights on, nobody's home, I'm calling on you, all right? So anyways, so here's what he said, man. And look what it says. We, through faith in what Christ did on the cross, he says we have boldness to enter that holy of holies. To us, that doesn't mean anything because we didn't see animal sacrifice. We didn't see the ritual. Most of us have never even read the book of Leviticus. We, we, we run through Genesis, Exodus, hit that puddle of mud called Leviticus, and we get through it as quick as we can to get to the New Testament. You know, And, and there's a beautiful picture to show what he did for us. Man, we can enter with boldness by the blood of Jesus. Not your sacrifice. So how many of y'all have had a really bad day at some point where you sinned and you were a scumbag and you were just a scoundrel and you felt like God didn't want to hear from you? Anybody be honest? You ever felt that way? If you have the blood of Jesus covering you, you come with the sacrifice of Christ, not yours. On your worst day as well as your best day, you have access to him. In fact, probably, you know, if it were to go either way, it'd be better on your worst day because at least you realize who you are in the in sight of a holy God. Man, don't ever let the devil think, make you think you can't come. But if you are covered by the blood of Christ, if you've surrendered yourself to him, you always have instant access, not once a year, not just one person, but everyone. So we have to enter with faith. He says, having boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus. Look at this. By a new and living way, which he consecrated for us. This word new, we just read it. and We're like, oh, it's a new way. No, you know what this word new actually means? In the, it means newly slaughtered. <laughs> That's literally what the word means, newly slaughtered. So every time you come to Christ, 
God looks at it as a fresh sacrifice from him. He doesn't have to die more than once or anything like that. I don't understand. It's probably got something to do with quantum physics and how he can do all of that. And I just ain't smart enough for that. But, but the idea is that every time you come to, Christ, come to God through Christ, it's not like, oh, yeah, that's the old blood of Christ. It's a new, fresh. He looks at it as brand new and beautiful again. And it's living. So it can continue to kind of live and take care of our sins. It continues to be fresh to God. God never gets tired of us coming to him through Christ. It's always, do you understand that, that there was the only way God could take care of, righteously take care of the penalty of sin, but he could um, show his love for us? Every time he looks at the blood of Christ, every time we come to him through Christ and he sees Christ's blood covering us, man, every time he sees that, God is stoked. There's nothing better for him. There's nothing more exciting, nothing more, because it's his expression of love to us. And so he wants us to take advantage of that. Have you ever gotten a, given somebody a gift and, and then you saw it later at a white elephant, you know, exchange? You know? <laughs> or let me ask you this. You, got, you gave somebody a gift and then you came over to their house and you're like, hey, you ever look around? Where's that gift I gave you? You know, it's not, but can you imagine God offering this most magnificent gift and people not taking advantage of it? Yeah, I can because that's me sometimes. Dude, I want you to understand how awesome of a privilege it is for us to enter into his presence whenever we want through faith. How many of y'all have faith? You don't have to raise your hand if you don't, but how many of y'all have faith? You know that when you, you talk to God, you're covered by the blood of Jesus and you have access to him. Dude, how many of y'all think you got to go home now and make a little garment with bells and tie a rope around your leg and tell your wife, hang on to this case, God, I'm going to pray, and if God doesn't accept it, yank me out? No, we're not worried about that. We're so far removed from that because of Christ. So he has he's newly slaughtered, a new and living, fresh way that he's consecrated us through the veil that is his flesh. So check this out. Remember what I said? There was that veil that was about this thick that separated man from the Holy of Holies. And it wasn't as a bad thing to keep man out. It was a good thing because if you went in and you were not approved, what happened to you? You're dead. So it was God protecting you, holding you back from your own stupidity because there were people, oh, I can do this, you know, and, and, and it, was, it was protection. But when Christ was on the cross and it was pitch black from noon to three o'clock and he was, God was, according to the book of Isaiah, laying, pounding Jesus with all the sins of the world, all the ones you and I have ever committed are committing right now because right now you're thinking, how many of you are thinking about dinner right now? No, I'm just joking with you, but you wouldn't admit that. Ah, Alex, you just admit it, right? Yeah, yeah, sort of. I was thinking about blood and steak. Yeah, I'm still thinking about the cow being sacrificed. I'm smelling barbecue right now. No, but, but literally, man, all the sins that were in the past, in the present, and all the sins you will commit in the future. During that time, God somehow was pounding Christ with it. The ultimate clean freak is getting the ultimate dirt dumped on him. Man, the only thing I can even come close to. How many of y'all just hate dirt? You don't want to be. All right. All of you would be immune. Would, would be the, can you imagine? Can you imagine being, being, being tied up and somebody taking septic tank truck after septic tank truck and just shooting that stuff all over you? How many of y'all be, dude, that would be cool. Anybody here? We got to pray for you. <laughs> but literally, I mean, can you imagine? Can you imagine, man, all the disease, all the filth, all the smell, the stench, 
and the trucks were lined up and lined up and they were just getting pounded with this sludge that's been pumped out of septic tanks. That junk ain't even fresh no more. <laughs> I don't know that it ever was, but I'm just saying, man, and you're just getting pounded. I, I can't even think of an equivalent of what it was like for Christ to have all the sins of the world pounded on him. But that's what he took at that time. And at the end, at 3 o'clock, we kind of say, at that time, and when he gave up his spirit to God, they didn't kill him. When he gave it up, what happened to that veil in the temple? It ripped. And where did it rip? From what direction to what direction? Yeah, not man, like pulling, like, oh, you know, let's get access to God. It ripped from the top to the bottom, supernaturally. And he says that was his flesh. As Christ's flesh was ripped, the veil was ripped, and we now have access to the Holy of Holies, which is God. The veil represented his flesh, his flesh. Now, it, when the priest went in, and he went in there, what were they waiting for? What was everybody waiting for when the priest went in? Help me out. The priest would come back out again, right? Okay. Well, when Jesus went in, he didn't come back out. Instead, Jesus went into the Holy of Holies, and you know what he's doing right now? We're not waiting for him to come back out so we can go back in in a year. He's in there, and you know what he's doing? He's saying, come on. He's leading us. He's drawing us. He's calling us into him. And man, who would not take advantage of that? Again, that priest, what did the priest do with the ankle and all that? He said, come on. I ain't going in there. But Jesus satisfied God's demands and he didn't come back out. What Jesus did was say, come on in with me. Is that not awesome? That's the access that you have. That's what he's doing for you right now in heaven. No other generation but the generation of Christians from Christ's resurrection and ascension on have had this. People dreamed of it. We have this. Do we have any excuse not to go into God's presence? To live there. Why would we ask questions like the Corinthians? Well, can I go participate? Can I sleep with the temple prostitutes? Can I go do temple drugs? Can I go do this and do that? Instead, it's like, man, get, how many of y'all have been lost in his presence? You ever been lost in his presence? And you're just there? Why would you want to go do that? That's God's question. Why would you want to do it? Well, it's because I really have not experienced that presence. Because whatever nature we feed, that's the nature we look like. That's the nature that grows in us. Till one day when we go to heaven, we lose the flesh. And all we do is have a desire and ability to please God. So he goes, he says, man, he said that a new and living way which he consecrated for us through the veil that is his flesh. And having a high priest over the house of God, God built this as a heavenly temple. Not one man built, not the blueprint. This is the building. He said, let us, what's the next words? Draw, help me out. What's the next words? Draw near. Draw near. What does it mean to draw near? <laughs> Do you have, in, in Brazil, hey, now these two guys, these are from, they're from Brazil. Um, Bree's from New York. Um, Naomi's from France, so that's just like our congregation, man. We got people from all over the place. Now, this is my girl with grit. She's from Georgia, all right? And, uh, and uh, uh, yeah, that's um, Grace is from Georgia, and Jake is from uh, Indiana. See, I got that right uh, this time. Where did I keep saying you guys were from? Chicago or somewhere? No, but Indiana, man. And so um, in that, in, in, in Brazil, do they have personal space? Like in America, this is kind of comfortable, like talking. But have you ever had somebody kind of 
get real close to you like that? Yeah. How about somebody like this? Yeah. How, how does that make you feel? Uncomfortable. Yeah, dude, when I was in Africa, dude, and they didn't have toothbrushes or mouthwash, by the way, but when I was in Nigeria, dude, they got right in your face to talk to you, and it was kind of uncomfortable. But how about somebody you love, man? How many of y'all ever been in love, and you just wanted to get closer and closer and closer? You know what I'm saying? You ever been in love and wanted to get close? You know? You ever been in love and wanted to get close, man? Uh, you don't have to answer that right now, but I'm just saying, that's what he's talking about. God's saying, man, experience God's presence. Fall so in love with him that, that the closer you get, the more intimate your relationship is with him. It's not an uncomfortable thing. When is it uncomfortable to get close to God? The same time it's uncomfortable to be a bank robber and be finding a cop. You know what I'm saying? When we know we're guilty, when we don't know that it's been paid for, when we're living that performance-oriented theology, it's uncomfortable to be close to God. But when we understand his love and the access he's given us through the blood of Christ, man, he's saying, come closer, come closer. He's the husband and we're the what? Yeah, we're the bride. Dude, it's a beautiful picture of how close our relationship's supposed to be with him. Draw near with a true heart. And that word true is the Greek word sincere. It means without wax. And I've shared this before, but it's been a while. But this is one of my favorite words in the Greek language here. And what would happen is the way the word came about is that potters would, uh, that would be their profession, and they would buy a field. And what they would do is they would dig up, they knew clay was there, and they would dig some clay, and they would make a pot. Now, their field was limited because the clay only went so deep, and their field was only so big. And so they would take it, and they would make it, and they would fire it up. And if they fired it up and it cracked, man, what happened with that, Susan? If they fired it up and cracked, what happened? It was just a waste, right? Now, if you're a scrupulous potter, it was a waste. Because you can't, once you fire it up, break it up and make it all like so you can use it again. It's done. And you only got so much of a resource. Unscrupulous potters, what they would do is they'd take it and they'd go, hmm. And they would fill the crack with wax. And then they would paint it and glaze it and do all this stuff so that uh, a, an unaware buyer would walk up and go, oh, what a beautiful pot. I think they'd even paint those a little prettier, too. And they would go, oh, what a beautiful pot, and they would buy it. And then they would go take it home, and they'd put some chicken noodle soup or, well, something in there, you know. And what happens when you would put hot water in there? The wax would melt. You would feel terrible because you wasted your money on a bad product, and you would be mad at the buyer. So what scrupulous buyers would do is they would go and they would take the vase or the pot and they would hold it up to the light. And when it was held up to the light, when the light came through, if there was wax in it, what would they see? They would see light coming through that wax. They would, so it, when it was held up to the light, if it was held up to the light and it was what it was supposed to be, then it was sincere. It was without wax. And that's what he's saying, man, come to God with that sincere heart. How many of y'all fill your cracks with wax when you come to God? <laughs> Think about that. <laughs> how many of y'all come to God acting all flowery and acting all perfect? You know, how many of y'all come to God and just open up and tell him how wretched you are? You just come to him honestly and you're like, God, please help me with this. I mean, God knows everything already, right? So when we try to sell God a cracked pot with wax in it, he's like, take that out. of When you want to come to me, and really come to me honestly and truthfully, I'll accept you. I love you. I want you to come to me in truth because it's not until you realize that, that, that you need me that I can fix you. <laughs> now check this out. 
There was something they did way better than the wax, but it cost more and actually made it more valuable. And it's what God does with us. You know what? They would take that pot with, with wax and, or the pot that was cracked. And have you ever seen a pot where they take, they've taken the cracks and they put it back together with gold? It's got gold inlay in it, filigree. It's got gold. And isn't that beautiful? Well, that's what God wants. He doesn't want us superficially to put wax and try to be something we're not and make everybody think we're all of this when we're not. What he wants us to do is come to him and let expose our flaws to him and let, us, let him fill us with gold and make us more beautiful than if we would have never had any flaws to begin with. Man, that's what he wants to do. Hey, how many of y'all have ever had God fill any of your cracks with gold? How many, isn't that what Romans 8, 28? We know that all things work together for good to them who love God and are called according to his purpose. And what, does that mean everything happened to us good? Uh, put your foot out there real quick. No, I was good. If I stomped on your foot, if I did a karate kick in your face, would that be good? It says all things are good, but the good that comes out of that is the next verse that says we look more like Christ. So it's how you respond to that is, is the good thing if you respond like Christ. So here he is, man, he's saying again, having sincere hearts, honest hearts, coming to God, laying it open. You don't have to hide anything from him. Draw near with a true heart, with full assurance of what? Faith. The only way you can come to him is with faith. You, without faith, you can't come to him. He says, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience in our bodies, Washed with the pure water. Again, that sprinkled is what they did on the mercy seat. But we're sprinkled with his blood, not our own. Not our own sacrifice. So we need faith to come to him. You cannot come without faith. If God required a, a sacrifice of such great magnitude from the priest to come into his presence, do you think we can come without a sacrifice? But the only sacrifice he will accept is the blood of Jesus. The only prayer he listens to and hears from a non-believer is the prayer for salvation. You think about that. I had many people of you, no, man, I prayed, I prayed, I prayed. And God heard my prayer. I was like, no, dude, God heard you're praying mama's prayers. <laughs> you're praying daddy's prayers. You're praying grandma's prayer. You need a sacrifice. But the good news is if you're born again, you have one. And by faith, believing that's adequate, you can come. So we, what, do we, what is the F word that we need to be able to come to him? Faith. We need faith. All right. So what's H word in order to stay with him, to stick with him? Hope. Hope. Okay, good. You guys are great readers, man. Check this out. He says, let us hold fast. That means hold on to. That means not let go of. That means, that, that means be persistent. Let's hold fast to the, what's the next word? Confession. He says the confession of our hope. Confession is what you're hoping in. And the confession of our hope is not, Paul's not going, or the writer of Hebrews is not going to some big doctrinal thing. He's just saying, guys, here's the confession of your hope. Jesus is Lord and Jesus saves. How many of y'all agree with that? <laughs> He's Lord and he saves. That's your confession. It's, it's that simple. You don't need to get into theological doctrinal arguments. Jesus is Lord and Jesus saves. That will get you in enough arguments. All right. But he said, that's our confession. Don't ever lose that. It's the confession of our hope. He says, hold to that. Hold on without wavering for he who promised is faithful. He's going to continue. We can hope in him because he's not going to lie. I have an illustration for you here. And uh, don't, uh, this board, I'm way too big and fat and old to ride this board, Gary. It doesn't work. This is my son's board when he was little. And uh, it was just easy to carry today. But 
man, this board is God. And, and if this board is God, and if you don't know how this board is God, come to Fun Day Mondays that we're getting ready to have beginning of June. Yeah, we're ready to do that June 4th, I think. But we'll find out God's the board, but we'll find out that Jesus is the leash. And, uh, and, and in this, Jesus is the leash that attaches us to God. And so when he says, hold fast the confession of our hope, realize that once you gave your life to Jesus, Jesus is now holding you connected to God. Hey, Jack, by the way, congratulations on that big old turkey with the six and a half inch beard, man. That was awesome. Yeah. yeah. Hey, when Jesus holds on to you, when you give your life to Christ, you attach yourself to him via Jesus Christ. How long are you attached for? Can you ever take it off? Can I take this leash off if this is Jesus? No, man. Can it fall off? No. Do I have to buy a new one ever? No. It's forever. And it's holding on to me. So if I'm going the same direction as God, if I'm going with God, then, then I'm right there with him. And I'm enjoying this. But how many of you ever gone against God? You know what? How many of you ever, would this explain your life with Christ right here? You're attached. You know who he is. And all you're doing is just kind of dragging him around. Anybody ever do that? You're just dragging him around, and he even gets in the way sometimes. You're like, dude, I don't want you to show up right here, you know? And, and, and what's it like? Hey, the guy's running marathons. Hey, Tom, you're a runner, right? How would you like to have this running marathons? You know what I'm saying? How many of you can identify with this in your relationship with Christ when you're trying to do something that he doesn't want you to do? You're trying to be something he doesn't want you to be. When you're not in that relationship with him and you're trying to do your own thing. Dude, I don't care if it's going into the ministry. If you're going into, you're trying to do one that you want, but not what he wants. You'll find this nagging God behind you that you're attached to via Christ. And are you ever going to be able to get rid of it? No, praise God, because that's your ticket to heaven. And praise God that eventually, through the conviction of the Holy Spirit, we get tired of dragging this around, hopefully. And we start saying, okay, God, I want to enjoy the ride instead of dragging you in part of my life. So we come to him through faith, but, but man, we stay with him with our hope. And our hope is that we'll never be detached. We're hope that this ride ends up good. And where does our ride end up, Seth? Heaven, dude. How many of y'all are ready for heaven? How many of y'all think it'd be kind? I know, yeah, dude. It's like, yeah, I'd like to see my grandkids. I'd like to see Ashley and Jada get back from Hawaii and all that. But, dude, if something happened right now, man, we're all going to meet there. Again, we talk about the 100 grains of sand, like 100 years of life. And it's that big. It's nothing compared to all the rest of the sand in this universe. That's eternity's not even close to that. Man, enjoy the ride while you're here. We've got a home in heaven. So he says, man, the only way in life you're going to stay stuck to God instead of having be dragging him around is, is going to be if you have hope. You have that expected outcome. If you seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, he says all these things you need will be added unto you. That's our hope, that we just stay stuck to him and it all works out. But make sure you're enjoying the ride and you're not just dragging him around. And again, he's never going to let you down. So next thing, last thing I want to share with you in this is this old fashioned confession. Of hope. All right, I may need help, Tom. <coughs> Something's not working here. Might be my battery. I brought EJ. All right. We're almost done. If we can get this switch. All right. You need love to encourage. Yes, that's what we're looking for right now. 
Or did it just end right here, Tom? Oh, there we go. All right, so what, what's the F word we need to enter? We need... What's the H word that we need to be able to stick with him? Hope. Hope. Without hope, we give up. Hey, I'll share this with you, man. I, I heard this one time. Somebody said that you can live three weeks without food. Anybody believe that? You can literally live three weeks without food. They say you can live three days without water. You can live three minutes without air. How long can you live without hope? You can't. That's when people give up is without hope. And we have hope in someone who cannot lie, man. And so we've got faith to um, enter into a pre- his presence. We need hope to stay there that what he says is true and that it's going to work out the way he says. But the purpose of all this is we need love to encourage. And uh, let me read this and then we'll go back and talk about it real quick. He says, let us consider. So he says, enter by faith, stay through hope. And he says, now I want you to encourage through love. Let us consider one another in order to, what's the next word? Stir, stir up. Man, that's, we get to stir up. How many of y'all like to stir stuff up? You know, <laughs> this is your command. He says, let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as in the manner of some, but exhorting one another and so much more as you see the day approaching. So right off the bat, he says, let us consider one another. Considering other people, is that selfish or selfless? Selfless. Selfless. So that's love. It's all about love. It's not about what can I do? Am I allowed to do this, Paul? Am I allowed to do that? Can I do it? No, that's not what it's about. It's about loving God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. And then he causes you to what? Love Love others. And then the benefit. Have you ever benefited from loving others? Is that not one of the most awesome things? That's way better than trying to get everybody to love you, isn't it? which is what the world does and what we do in the flesh. So he says, here's the point. Come to me in faith. Stay with me. Just sell out to me. And then I'm going to put you on others, man. I'm going to have you consider one another. Help one another. Help each other see life from God's perspective. And what's the purpose of, of considering other people? Is it to stir up trouble? Is it to stir up, have you, you know people that stir up trouble? In your little Christian school you got. I mean, everybody's a saint, right? All you guys are saying, hey, who's the troublemaker in here? Pointing them on the count of three. One, two, three. No, don't do that. But, no, some of us just have that temperament. We like to stir things up. They call us instigators and leaders and all these things. But, but, but literally, how many of y'all know those people that they like to stir up trouble? They come around and they get things going and then they walk out and they smell sweet and everybody else. That's called an instigator. Are you one of those? Yeah, I think you are, bro. <laughs> I, bet, I bet you are, because that's why you and I get along, man. And I know a few of other ones of you guys in here. But he said, I want you to stir up what? What are we supposed to stir up in each other? What's the first word? Love. I'm supposed to help you do good things. I'm supposed to help you do things that are going to help you grow in your relationship with God. I'm going to encourage you. I'm going to stir you up to do some things that are beneficial for you, not stir stuff up that's going to see how many people I can get against each other. And he says, so I want you to stir up love and, and what else? Good works. He says now, and this is the, the message you hear preached all the time when people don't come to church. Now, God says, don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together. You need to come to church. And everybody says, why? And they're like, well, I don't know. <laughs> he tells us why. He said, that's where we're going to have opportunities with the brothers and sisters of Christ to be able to stir each other up to love and good works. 
And look what he says. Not forsaking the assembling ourselves together as the manner of some. Some people, you guys are missing church and you're trying to do this on your own. You can't do this on your own. He says, you need brothers and sisters in Christ. He says, but we come as is the man or son, but we come. And what's the E word down here? Eggs. Help me out. Everybody say it. Exhorting one another. So how many of you ever gone to church with that attitude? Like, you know, man, I ain't going to church no more, man. I get nothing out of it. Uh, Maybe that's why you came here and left your other one. I don't know. Hope not. But man, we come to church. How many of y'all ever come to church looking to get something? We should look to get something, right? But what he's saying is we should come to church looking to give something. And isn't that what a Christian life's about? You give, and then it gets. You love God with everything you have. He calls you to love others, and you get from giving. But if all you ever do is come anywhere to get something, how many of y'all know neighbors that every time they knock on the door, every time they call, friends, every time they call, they want something? Anybody know that? Other than your kids, okay. (laughs) But seriously, when you see that person calling, like, oh, man, what do they want now? They want to copy my homework. No, I'm just like, what do they want now? I mean, would you rather be around a giver or a getter? Jack, you want somebody that's going to take you hunting or always, like, try to get you to take them hunting? Yeah, and if they come, take them on. Take, yeah, take me hunting on my private land, and, and I'll take you on my public land. i got no problem taking you if you take me. I mean, see how it works out? It just works out. If you want to be around someone who's a giver and not a taker, then be a giver and not a taker. So here's an illustration that, man, I want to share with you guys again. Um, We've used this around here to really just talk about kind of who we are in Christ and what's going on. I pulled all this out of the cabinet. hope my wife didn't have plans. You're not making cookies later, are you? I'll buy some more if you are, okay? And the chocolate and everything else necessary. But um, here's you. And when you come into this world... You are like this, uh, this beautiful, just fat, <laughs> this vegetable oil. I know we all think like, oh, we had, there was a cute little baby here, uh, Gabriel, right? And uh, hey, did you know Jared Glazer? That's his son. That's his son. Yeah, man. So you have to check him out late. Got Jared's eyes, man. But anyways, in that, you come in this world like a, like a just a, isn't that beautiful? You come in like this, uh, you don't think it's beautiful, do you, Sarah? You want to drink some of this? That would just make you throw up thinking about it, right? But, <laughs> Yeah, this is, this is what you come into the world looking like. We just come in different shapes, different sizes. But everybody goes, oh, what a cute little jar of fat you are. <laughs> you know, you see a baby and everybody just goes, oh, look at that. Oh, let me just smell the fresh, the fresh fat. Oh, what a beautiful baby, man. Oh, let me hold and cuddle that little fresh bowl of fat we got right there. Isn't that true? Isn't that what people, everybody goes goo-goo over the babies. And we all look the same. We're just a bundle of little fat, man. Right? And, and that's, that's us. That's the flesh in our life. Every one of us, you think, you know, moms always think their babies are cuter. Isn't that right? You know, you're like, you say, God, boy, that was how that, a, a, a baby only a mother could love. You've seen that? The only ugly babies are possum babies, you know, and even they're kind of cute. But the fact is, is there's not much difference among us. We all are just a jar of fat right here. And we come into the world, and what do we do, man? We keep dressing up the fat. We keep educating the fat. We keep, you know, uh, training the fat. We lose fat. We gain fat. We, you know, all, we just keep trying to be different than every other jar of fat. But when it comes down to it, this is us in the flesh. And all we care about in the flesh is who? Us. That's why I keep working on us. And we get tired of this at some point. And if you're ever born again, it's because God's given you the desire and ability 
Just surrender your life to Christ. And when you do that, what happens is Christ on the cross, what Christ did on the cross, man, he pours himself into you. I hope this doesn't slip out of my hand. Don't you? <laughs> he pours himself into you. And now, man, let me ask you a question. What do you look like? Do you look like a jar of fat? Or do you, hang on. Man, hold this up to the light even. Look at this. Christ, man, this is a baby Christian. A baby Christian, man, you can't tell the difference between them and Christ, right? Man, isn't that more beautiful than that jar of fat? Come on, just go play with me. Yeah, it's more beautiful. Yeah, dude, it's awesome. You want to marry this, don't you? No, I'm just like, but, but literally, literally, what does this look like? Does this look like Christ or does it look like fat? What does it look like? Look like Christ or look like fat? It looks like Christ. And, and, and isn't that what happens? Oh, thank you, Tom. You're worried I was going to slip in that? Yep. No, you just didn't want to stay in the floor and let's get fine. No. All right. But, but check out what's going to happen here in just a minute. It looks like Christ, and it's all shaken up, and it's all stirred up, and that's a baby Christian. But what happens sometimes when, when, when we see baby Christians, brand new believers in Christ, and they're all excited for Christ? How does that make you feel if you're not, if you're kind of lukewarm? Does it bring some conviction to you? Anybody ever been convicted? I hope all of you are on fire for Christ. I really do. But have you ever been lukewarm and you've seen a brand new on fire Christian or you've seen somebody on fire for Christ? It makes us feel kind of, ooh. And you know what I hear people say? Oh, they'll settle down. I hope not. I hope not. The older we get, Carol, the more on fire and enthusiasm we should have. We should be models for the baby Christians. We should, they should be able to look at us that have been walking with them forever and wanting to follow our testimony. That's what's supposed to happen. But guess what happened? You see what's happening right there? Hey, you see what's happening? It, it all was together, but, but what's rising to the top? The fat. You see that? It was all mixed up and you couldn't tell the difference between that person and Christ. But guess what's happening as it's settling down? Is it Christ that rises to the top? If you don't do anything in this world, it feeds your flesh. Is it Christ that rises to the top or is it your flesh that rises to the top? It's your fat that rises to the top. And look what's happening right here. And I'm not talking about this, guys. <laughs> I'm talking about the flesh. I'm talking about the desire that desires to please ourselves, and that is it. And if you look at what's happening, oh my goodness. Have you ever like stopped hanging out with believers? Just go do other things. You ever stop reading God's word, stop praying, stop hanging out with God? You become like the ones you hang out with. Have you ever stopped? Have you ever just kind of hit a lull where you haven't been with God and God's people? And, and you, you, you kind of, anybody can identify with this right here? I'm raising my hand. Yeah. The flesh rises to the top because that's the world we live in. What is going to have to happen? What's going to have to happen for that to be mixed up again? It's got to get shook up. It's got to be stirred up. Exactly. That's what he's telling us. He's telling us, man, don't forsake the assembly. Don't not come to church together. But when you come, come with the purpose of encouraging other believers. Because how many of y'all had a week like this? Anybody here want to admit you had a week like this? How many of you ever had a week like that? Okay, you don't want to admit this week. It was another week, right? But how many of y'all could use coming to church and having somebody encourage you? If you could use that, can't you imagine there's other people that can use that? So if you come encouraging others, what's that going to do to you? Hey, Penny, what's going to happen if you're an encourager? 
I mean, can you be like, can you be an encourager on the outside and be gloomy Gus on the inside? No, if you're encouraging, doesn't that help you? And when you encourage, you're putting what in somebody in what? Courage. courage. You're giving them courage to stay with the hope they have in Christ because they have the faith in what he did on the cross. And so he says the only way we can come to him is with faith. The only way we can stay in him is with hope. But sometimes we lose hope. And who do I need to shake me up to give me hope again? I need you. And you need me. We need each other. We can't do it on our own. Because, oh, my goodness. How long did that take for the fat to rise atop? Dude, how long did that take, man? It did not take long at all. So you know what? The only way it's going to now be mixed up again is if I take it and I stir it up. And then, but what's going to happen again? So how often do we need to be in contact with each other? How often do we need to be in contact and fellowship with other believers? Yeah, dude, y'all, there is something awesome called texting. <laughs> you can do it instantly. People only have to talk to you back and you can encourage people with that. But phone calls, fellowship. Start thinking about others. And when you're thinking about others, who are you not thinking about? Yourself. Yourself in your own little pity party. And maybe if you would encourage, you would find that you would be encouraged what much more. So again, it just comes down to this. The first part is we come. What good is faith, hope, and love? We can't come without what? Faith. We can't stay in a relationship without hope. And so we can't love or we can't encourage without, without love. And so that's our purpose is to love one another. And I don't know about you, but I know that I need people constantly shaking my fat up. All right. And letting Christ come to the top. And I hope that grosses you out and you never forget it. It's a life lesson. <laughs> but you too can make one of these. You saw how I made it. And you keep it on your windowsill. And every time maybe you see the separation, maybe ask God, say, God, who could I call right now? God, who could I pray for right now? God, who could I write a note to right now? God, who could I encourage? And I'll tell you what, I can't tell you how many times somebody's called me. Somebody said, hey, man, God put you on my heart and I'm praying for you right now. And it just has meant the world to me. It's one thing to just pray for somebody. It's another thing to let them know. So, again, that's what we're supposed to do. Let's bow for prayer. Father, I pray that we would be encouraged by this message to know that no matter what we've got going on in life right now, that if we are covered with your blood, if we've surrendered ourselves to you, what Christ did on the cross pays for our sins, and we have access like even the high priest didn't have. On our worst day as well as our best day, help us, Father, to never take that access for granted. Help us, Father, to um, always be in fellowship with you because that's what you desire. Father, I pray if there's someone here that's never given their life to Christ, um, they don't know they have that access, but you're giving them a desire to surrender everything they know about themselves to everything they know about you, which may not be much, maybe a bunch, but you're giving them that desire to surrender. Father, I pray you give them a desire they can't refuse and they would just surrender themselves to you right now. Father, um, I pray that we would take advantage of that access that is so precious that you've given us and we would come to you through faith. But I pray we would never give up, that we would always have hope and never give up and we would stay with you with that hope that we find in the word, that we find in our fellowship and our prayer with you, but mostly in that, or in addition, that, that fellowship 
that we have with other believers. Father, I pray that we'd be believers that would encourage each other because we love each other. And I pray, Father, that um, you would just stir us up to stir each other up. And um, we could, you'd put us together with people who maybe are losing hope. Because they don't always look like that. But your spirit would just unite us together and we give each other hope. Not in ourselves, not in what we see on the news, not in anything but you. And we would encourage each other with that true love. So Father, help us to see what good faith, hope, and love really are by practicing it. And I pray for these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.